Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help. Legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 293 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank NOTA, powered by M&T Bank. NOTA is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit TrustNOTA.com slash legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, NOTA. Terms and conditions may apply. And we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at ColonialSurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers, work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And as usual, with so many new podcasts announcing their very first shows and episodes these days, as we are rapidly approaching our 300th, we always like to mention that at 15 years and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. In our last episode, we discussed ways you might use tagging to improve your productivity. We thought it was a simple topic, but we ended up taking a deep dive. I, I definitely recommend listening to the episode. In this episode, we noticed that we've been seeing and hearing a lot about document automation, which we consider an evergreen legal tech topic. So we thought it'd be a good time to, to look at the past, present, and future of document automation, but especially the present. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be looking at document automation and what we all can and probably should be doing with it. Uh, in our second segment, we're going to enter the world of the metaverse and test its temperature. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we return to a core legal technology, something we've talked about in the past and wanted to revisit uh, more recently, document automation. It might seem like a simple topic, but it actually can be complicated. It seems like an old topic, but there's a whole lot of lawyers out there who still aren't taking advantage of it. So we thought we would dust it off, take a look at the current state of document automation from the basic to the advanced dentist. Am I going to have to listen to you talk about how you did document assembly apps 30 years ago? Well, Tom, you can turn down the volume now for a few seconds if you wish, but here's a quick story. Back in 1990, I had the uh, the great fortune to, to work with a firm and uh, a partner in the firm who was very interested in implementing document assembly uh, to create estate planning documents and kind of... Uh, gave me the freedom to do that. And I, I found a tool, uh, did the work, and uh, took what was uh, an hours-long process of drafting uh, estate planning documents and, and turned the creation of a first draft of, of Will's Trust 
powers of attorney into a, to a five-minute process, uh, which was incredible in its way um, and still something people are, are doing these days. Uh, but uh, as I realized once I got it to work, I had kind of really killed my billable hours uh, for, for that year and for, for going forward. So, so that's, that's my, my story, Tom. But I think this is a great example of, uh, of ways we can look at what are kind of old legal tech topics and, and legal tech tools with, with fresh eyes. So uh, what do you think? Is there still, uh, as they say, gold in, in those old hills? So the way that I think about this is, for those of you who are listening to us right now, um, if you're in on document automation already, then you already know if there's gold. You already know what it's like. It, it may very well be that you're using a tool and you've just been kind of using the same old tool for a while. And my question to you will be, well, have you seen what your tool can do lately? Or have you seen what new tools are doing right now? So maybe we'll talk about it in that standpoint. But I'm going to make the argument that those people who aren't uh, – who aren't using document automation still weren't using it back then. And so uh, it's fresh eyes all the way around, no matter what. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, it's, it really is one of those places where you, uh, by taking a look back, uh, you see what people were doing and the potential of it, which hasn't changed. What's changed is the tools and the, the ease of use. And, and we'll dig into that. And I think there's also... What you see as you get involved with, there really is kind of a spectrum of, of document automation. And that's important to consider as you, you dive in, because a lot of times people get diverted, I would say, or, uh, you know, discouraged sometimes because they, they try to do too much at the beginning when there's a lot that you can accomplish by not going as uh, you know, far to the right, as I'll call it, on, on the spectrum of those tools. I guess before we jump in, Tom, and I'll ask you this and, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe you'll shift it back to me, but uh, I sometimes use document assembly. Other people often use document automation. Are, is there really a distinction these days between those two terms? I would argue not really, um, but for help with that, so to kind of look and back it up, I went to, and we, I seem to be talking about this a lot on the podcast, um, the Legal Technology Hub, which for me is probably the best collection of names of, of legal tech products um, around the world. And what was interesting there is that if you look through the major directory, there are 16 tools listed that list themselves and describe themselves as uh, document assembly. And there are 148 tools that describe themselves as document automation. But if you actually dig in and look at them, they appear to be very similar. Um, they, they don't seem like there's a ton, a ton of big significant differences. And as, as I'm going to make the argument later, and I know, Dennis, you've talked about with some of your friends, I think that when we all get down to it, every tool out there is a document assembly or document automation tool. We'll talk more about that in a second. I think that the document automation tools uh, that I'm looking at tend to use the buzzwords no code a lot more than the document assembly ones do. Another differentiator that I see with document automation is that there are companies who are specializing in a particular type of law, so creating real estate documents or something... Uh, 
you would think that a document automation tool that focuses on real estate has to be better for real estate lawyers. I mean, you're assembling a document using automation or using document assembly. So I, I, I don't really see a distinction there. Dennis, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. I use them interchangeably. There's, you know, maybe an argument that, uh, that automation tools focus a bit more on the workflow, but you know, typically in in both cases, the output is going to be a document of of some kind. So I, I don't get hung up on on the difference uh, be, between them. What I do focus though is uh, is our old friend job to be done. So what 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 is the jobs uh, the job to be done of of document automation? Mission and what do we what do we hire a document uh, automation tool to do? Uh, so, Tom, I'll let you take first stab at that. So, my first stab, I I have three major parts to this, and maybe you can fill in where I'm missing. Um, a document automation needs to tackle a repeatable task, something that you do often. Um, if you're doing it as a one-off document, if you're doing documents that require a lot of um, of, of customization and creativity maybe not the right thing. I think it's a repeatable task. It's um, the information you're providing it is objective information. There's not a lot of nuance and not a lot of thought or judgment that goes into it. You've got standard things that you're putting in there and it's something that you do a lot. And so it's solving a time problem as well. It's a repeatable task that doesn't take a lot of brain power that you nevertheless need to do often. To me, those are the standard jobs to be done of document automation, but I know that's not all there is. I, I think those those are, are key pieces to it, and I, I sometimes say that um, it's helpful for a lot of lawyers to understand what your what your ultimate goal is is a really good first draft to work with, as opposed to a completely perfect final document. But there's some some nuance there. There's a couple of things that that I look at, and 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 your categories sort of cover these, but I'll just I'll kind of. Uh, focus in on a couple things is I like to see places where there's you're doing documents that uh, you have a lot of volume with where it sort of makes sense to put your effort and time into it um, and then uh, another the other thing I would call is uh, profitability so does it does it make sense and and sort of a key place that that I look at is are you doing documents or drafting documents? in a way where you're always or often writing off time uh, for producing those when you finally send the bill to the client or clients always objecting to the cost of, of drafting documents. Those are places that uh, the document automation can help you. And then if your job is, to, the job to be done is to, you know, to have happy clients, uh, then document automation can play a part in it. I do want to talk to the what I call the spectrum of, of this, and we'll kind of tick our way through it. But uh, for for me, I, I sort of see four steps along that line. And so one is the the really simple clause or automation of text blocks, say in Microsoft Word. Uh, you can have a a more sophisticated way of doing the same thing so it can be simpler to trigger and you can do uh, more sophisticated entries with a, a product like task expander or what used to be known as macros in the old days 
Then the third area I would call document first automation, where you have a core template and you're you're putting in the applicable clauses. And that's typically the tool you think about there historically has been hot docs. And then the last category um, kind of flips the document first thing where the focus is on the logic and the flow of, of the automation. And then the document kind of is the, uh, the output at the end of that. So those would be the four, four categories I usually look at. And I think you can, you can work really well in any of those four categories. And it doesn't necessarily make sense for you to jump to to uh, category number four, if you can get benefit from uh, some of the simpler categories. So your thoughts on that, Tom? Well, I think that there's a place for all of them, depending on what you want to do. I mean, um, you know, when we talk about the most basic, um, quick parts in Word is just dead simple to have. And if it's easy for you to have some quick parts set up for, for documents that you generally, you occasionally create, um, there's not necessarily a reason to go into a document first automation like hot docs and create a whole template if just a few quick parts are going to help you out so there are going to be times where that works out um to me, tools like Text Expander are not tremendously different from Quick Parts, except I think that it's, it's more advanced. It'll it it provides for more. Um, you know, right now I am uh, I am sending out um, emails to a group of people I'm trying to raise money from, and I'm basically sending them the same email, but I set up in Text Expander um, a template where I type in the macro and it pops up a little box, and I have two little boxes to fill in where I personalize the information. Um, and then I click enter and it fills all the emails in and I can send out 15 emails in about 15 minutes. It's just so nice that it happens. But so it's a little bit more advanced than the quick parts, but ultimately, um, ultimately the, the, the function's the same. In terms of document first automation, you know, I, I say this a bunch during the podcast, I'm, I'm away from the legal tech world more often than I want to be. And so in preparing for the podcast, I kind of went to go look and see what the state of current tools are. And I don't notice that the process has changed. I mean, it's still a significantly manual process to get started and get everything into the right system. It's still an interview process where you create a set of questions for a particular style of document. It requires that that initial template be sort of pristine and perfect, right? I mean, it has to, that's where the time savings comes in because the confidence is knowing that the document, aside from the customizations you're making, remains the same from document to document. You don't have to change it and review it. What I will say, what's interesting and 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 what I find um, really intriguing from that documents first automation category that you talk about is there are some projects being a lot smarter the some of the sorry products being a lot smarter these days um, I watch it as you're providing information during the interview the upcoming questions automatically modify they switch as they learn more information about you they provide slightly different questions because your answers have now changed the tenor of it and so I think they're a lot smarter they have a lot more different you know, kind of branching of the logic to be able to get to things out there. Um, and I, I, I really liked that as a, as a tool, but ultimately it's, it's an interview, answer questions, get a document out of, at the back end of that. I've been blabbing a lot on this, Dennis, how do you feel about all that? And maybe you want to talk a lot about a lot more about logic and flow first automation. Yeah. So I, I want to talk uh, about the, what I'll call the text expander or macro 
world. And so the benefit there, because it does seem like what you can do in Word is that you uh, you can do things outside of Word um, is, is the best way to think of that. Right. Anyway. So, right. Yeah. So when I use, so I use text expander on a regular basis. I have this thing where I just, if I type a slash in a BF, it puts uh, a blog footer. And so, which is actually quite a bit of text that goes into each of my blog posts. And, and that's, that's super simple. I did some, uh, sent out some messages in LinkedIn, like Tom was saying, and that was just basically, uh, I had a little trigger thing, a slash, I forget what it was. And then each of those things could, uh, would go into the LinkedIn message. I typed the person's name and it was customized and it, I could do it, you know, do it really quickly. Um, and, and that's the benefit of those. So there's a couple things that are happening, I think, in the newer set of, of tools, um, in addition to what Tom was saying. And so it's happening on the back end and the front end. So in the, the document first approach is that the tools are now able to kind of suck in your template, if you can think of it in those terms. So you say, here's my template, and they're able to do a bit more with it than the totally manual process in, in the past. And so I'm not saying it's like AI or magic or anything, but it makes it a little easier for you to get templates in and start working with them and to get some of the, the core logic in. And then the other thing was that typically the user interface was not that great um, in the tools in the old days. And so I've seen some things recently where you can do, where you can get the questions page. So typically a document automation tool, as Tom says, it's, uh, you know, you're going to be asked these questions, you're going to be guided through it. Um, and the interface didn't seem to be that great. Now you can do a lot more on the interface end. You can also, they're cloud-based so people can hit them over a website. And so I think with the improvements on the front end interface, um, you can you can offload more onto potentially the clients and others, whereas in the early days, document assembly was probably something that was gonna be done by a lawyer. Uh, asking the questions, and that that gives you a lot of a lot of benefits. And the logic has become kind of more transparent, more uh, modular in a way, uh, and more visual. And so, a lot of improvements in the interface. Because thirty years ago, I was essentially you know doing something that would look like computer code. So that's that's where I go, and then. I'll talk, uh, just a, the thought, and then I'll, I'll let you react to this, Tom, is on, uh, so I've been starting to play with a tool called Brighter, B-R-Y-T-E-R, and that's where I, I have this way of describing it as logic and flow-first approach, uh, because the emphasis there is not so much on the template, it's like getting the logic down of of what you what you need to do and then that's presented in a visual way so you could say oh i want to do something where uh and the example they give in the training is something that says i want to do a transaction in another country and then it has uh there are some sort of key variables uh that that uh, in that analysis so what is the amount of the transaction? What country is it in? And do you already have legal approval? And that's built, then you build that into logic. And then at the end of it, 
Um, it's able to say, here's a document that tells you what you need to do next. You know, is it approved or is it not approved? And what's the next step? And it also generates um, an email uh, to the law department if something needs to have legal approval. And so it all happens, but you focus on the logic and the workflow first rather than the the template of what that email or that approval letter would be. And so it kind of flips the approach. And in some cases, I, I see it as really beneficial because it, it does uh, allow you to capture some workflow and trigger different results other than just the production of a draft document. I like where that's headed. I wish, and and this goes back to our earlier episode a couple episodes ago about becoming a legal tech expert. I wish sites like Brighter was more were more transparent with how they uh, do what they do. Obviously, we don't want to give away everything on a website, but I wish I could learn more about that without asking for a demo. But I, I will say, looking at all of these tools, looking at everything that we just discussed, and thinking about legal talk, legal technology in general. The result is going to be the same for everything. And what I'm learning now is, is that essentially everything is document assembly. You might call it an expert system. Uh, you know, LegalZoom is document assembly. Um, a lot of access to justice things where, you know, when the, during the eviction moratorium, you can go online and put in information about your rental status and your landlord, and it would pop out a letter to your landlord to, to not have to worry about being evicted from your apartment. Again, people may call that an expert system or use other terms for it, but the end result is a document. You're putting a document together you're being interviewed, you're giving them information. I think that, you know, to a certain extent, this type of technology and this type of process is one of, if not the dominant form of technology for lawyers. Um, it, it is quickly becoming that way because it seems built into everything we're talking about, which is still kind of amazing to me that more lawyers aren't taking advantage of this on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and uh, the way I would describe it is I think that as we move away from our, you know, a purely document and email approach uh, to what what it is lawyers do or produce, we're really looking at what we're doing as, uh, to me, it's a database and we're capturing information. So it could be names, it could be, you know, descriptions, uh, all these sorts of things, and we're adding some logic to it. And then in the same way that with the database, we run a report of our results that, you know, produces information we want in a format we want, then our report can be a document, right? So it could be a will, uh, it could be an advice, an advice letter or an approval letter with some actions. It could be some next steps. It could be, could be a number of things. And so it kind of says... If once we get this information to database, then uh, we can use it in a lot of different ways. And this is what I think people find and where especially you see the benefit in, say, real estate closings, because there's there's only uh, there's actually a fairly small amount of data that's needed, you know, names, addresses, you know, legal description, those sorts of things. And then it seems like if you do a closing, there's essentially a thousand documents. Um, and then obviously uh, you don't want to do the thing where you're putting the same information into each of the documents. You'd rather just capture that information and then have it put 
automatically into documents that are created. And that is the benefit and uh, of document assembly. And there are others, I mean, obviously it makes things faster, uh, makes things cheaper. Uh, when you use template, a templated approach like this with document assembly, you're, the number of, of the amount of proofreading and the errors you make goes way down. You can do training. Uh, you, you know, you have this great standardization. So tons of benefits that have always been there. And there's a lot of competition out there in the product. So it's a great time to jump in. But you don't have to jump in at the deep end. You know, you can, you, if you just want to experiment in Word, that is not a bad way to start at all. You can really make your life easier and improve what you're doing just by using automation that's built into Word. Well, and I was going to say under the where to get started part of closing, wrapping up this segment is I would go a step further. I would say get text expander because I think that like you say, Dennis, it's available across every program that you use. You, you, you're able to use that anywhere and just having macros that you can easily add an address block to or a standard response to things or stuff that you just do repeatedly. What's amazing to me is um, I will get in, you know, get into a work mode and I'll be doing, um, there'll be times where I'm putting something together and I'm doing a lot of copying and pasting. And all of a sudden, Text Expander will say, hey, I've noticed that you've been copying and pasting the same text over and over again. Do you really want to do that? Or do you want to make it a snippet in Text Expander? I say, go for Text Expander. Get just uh, yes, use Word if you want to, but I would say invest in Text Expander. It does, it's not it doesn't cost a lot, and it's a very powerful tool to use if you really want to get started with this. Dennis, uh, let's close out the segment. Do you want to talk about kind of where we're heading with this and what people need to be thinking about moving forward? Yeah, so if you've been listening to this and you start to think about it and you say, well, if I can do all of these things and generate a lot of outputs and I can have, and it's easier to get the information in and I don't have to put that information in myself, what if I have the clients, uh, my clients put in information and then they start to generate that? And that that leads us right to productization, which I think is the next step and new business models where we say, what is it that we we can do where maybe we quit, we create products and we, or we at least offload uh, what's the, the kind of commodity data entry work um, that lawyers have been doing onto, onto someone else, including a client who might do a uh, much better job of it and uh, be willing to pay us uh, on a different basis, either you know a flat fee, a subscription, that sort of thing. So productization is where we're going, and, and we'll probably do a podcast on that in, in the near future. And I, I just want to close, Tom, uh, with a, a story that from 20 years ago where I met with some new clients, and they were a, a web, small, very small web company, and we had a discussion, and they need just basic you know, terms of use on their website and a simple privacy policy. And we talked about that and they said, well, we know that you're just going to go back to your office and just push a button and uh, change the names and then you'll you'll charge us for these new things. And we we laughed about that. But when, as I as I thought about it, I said, you know, their belief is real. And their concern uh, about what they're being charged is real. And we're certainly capable of, of doing that. The technology, you know, definitely 20 years ago was able, we were able to do that and, and definitely now. And I started to think, are there ways that you could say, 
you pay me for the services for a set of services, but the documents themselves are free and we don't have the fiction that, uh, you know, there, there should be an hourly charge for creating documents that could be done with a, uh, a push of a button. So that's something to think about. And, and, and that's, that's what I kind of, my challenge to the audience is how do you think about how you're both doing things that's inefficient, but ways that, your clients don't want to pay for you and you might make them happier uh, to pay uh, pay you for doing other things than creating documents in the old style. And that sounds like a topic we're going to have to revisit at some point in the future. But for now, we need to move on to our next segment. Before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local, pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for a new segment. Well, it's not so new anymore, but we still call it a new segment called Hot or Not. We pick something that people are talking about and argue whether we think it is hot or it's not. We might agree, but odds are that we won't. So let's get started. So Tom told me he has gotten very interested in something called the metaverse, which I guess I sometimes getting uh, want to call the metaverse, but I think the people do call it the metaverse. Uh, so that means he'll have to use up some of his time in this segment to explain exactly what that is. If it sounds like sci-fi, that's because it kind of feels that way. So, Tom, the metaverse, what is it? Why should our audience care? And is it hot or not? So the metaverse is actually something that people have been talking about for 20 or 30 years, actually. Um, but it recently got, I would say, fire hot in the news when Mark Zuckerberg over at Facebook announced that Facebook was all in on the metaverse. And suddenly everybody had to go and figure out what does this mean? Why are we all in the metaverse? And why is Mark Zuckerberg all excited about it? So it's not quite virtual reality, which we've talked about. It's not quite augmented reality, which we have also talked about. It's closer to virtual worlds, for those of you who remember Second Life, which we have also talked about. The term itself comes from a Neil Stevenson book called Snow Crash back in 1992, so almost 30 years ago. By the way, I love Neil Stevenson books. If you haven't read them, go read them. They're, they're great books. Um, and at a high level, it means a fully realized digital world that exists 
beyond the analog world that we're living in now. And speaking of metaverses and virtual worlds, go read Ready Player One right now. It's a virtual, it, it also describes a metaverse. You can see the movie. The movie is a pale imitation of the book, but the movie is still good. Fantastic, awesome book, especially for those of us who grew up in the 80s, and it really describes kind of what a metaverse experience is like. If you own cryptocurrency or a non-fungible token, you're part of the metaverse. Virtual and augmented reality are metaverse adjacent. If you've recently attended a virtual legal conference using an avatar, you are dipping your toes into the metaverse. If you've ever played Fortnite, or if you've watched your child play Fortnite, or Roblox, the big pop, the popular game among kids these days, maybe attended last week, Ariana Grande just did a Fortnite concert. She did a concert in Fortnite where you could attend a concert in virtual time. You are witnessing and a part of the metaverse. I highly recommend that you go and read Matthew Ball's primer on the metaverse. What he does is he calls the metaverse a successor state to the mobile internet. And uh, very quickly, I'll try to get through this quickly, he describes seven attributes that make up what the metaverse is like or is going to be like. One, it's persistent. It's always there. It never ends. It'll always be there. Two, because it's persistent, it's also live. It's synchronous. It exists consistently for everyone in real time. Three, there's no cap on the number of users. It doesn't say, full up, we got too many people here. Everyone can participate. Four, there's a fully functioning economy. That's why we talk about Bitcoin being part of it. Um, you can buy, sell, invest, speculate, you name it. It's part of the metaverse. Five, it's an experience that spans both digital and physical worlds, private and public networks, open and closed platforms. I'm not totally sure I understand that part of it, but it's supposed to span into the real world. Um, everything is interoperable. Nothing is proprietary. So for example, if I use a game as an example, um, if I use a gun in a game, I could also be able to use it in another game. And I might be able to gift that gun to a friend of mine in another service like Facebook. Um, it is populated by services and content created and operated by a huge and wide range of, co of contributors. In other words, it takes a lot of people to create a whole new universe, digital or otherwise. Um, Mark Zuckerberg's all in on it. So now everyone is saying they're all in on it. He's expecting Facebook to become much more of an experience you can live in over the coming years. And a whole lot of companies are jumping on that bank bandwagon. So whether or not this becomes something or is just a flash in the pan at this particular moment, the metaverse is hot, hot, hot. Dennis, did I convince you to come over and join the metaverse? Well, I mean, I think it's been interesting for a long time. I, I would I would say it's warm. Uh, so I'm going to be a, a bit of a naysayer and say, you know, this um, the vision here is obviously from people who have extremely stable, extremely high speed Internet access, uh, as Mark Zuckerberg, I'm sure, has. I think this is part of the vision of 5G or, or even 6G. So like everywhere we are, we're just going to have this amazing internet access with uh, high capacity data and we can do all these different things. So I think there's there's sort of an infrastructure that needs to be built out. And, you know, if you're in rural America, especially, you know, the metaverse is going to be a completely different experience for you if you can if you can have it at all. Uh, but it does go back to, like you said, to the what is known as the cyberpunk era with uh, Neil Stevenson, William Gibson. William Gibson uh, talked for a while about how and this is that sort of how. 
the real world and the internet world do interact. And in a lot of ways, we take that for granted. So we're we're already we're walking around and we're having our steps counted and we're getting directions or we're driving, we're getting directions or we're having music streamed to us or we hear a bird singing and there's an app that will identify that bird. So we're already seeing the penetration of of the two realms. And one of the interesting things why I think uh, the metaverse has become hot again, or at least warm in my mind, but it's certainly become a topic of conversations. People are trying to say, what happens after Zoom? Like, where can Zoom go? So how can we make that feel like it's more real? Why do people feel that Zoom wears them out, makes them tired? Well, what if you have an avatar, you have a different experience, or you know, it's just a richer experience? And I think that's what uh, tends to lead us to the uh, to the metaverse notion. So I think it's more a realistic possibility than it's been. And certainly with, you know, virtual reality goggles, all those, all the things that we've talked about on, on the podcast, I think we're closer, but I suspect it's like, there's still, you know, like more technology infrastructure that has to happen in uh, probably on the, the goggle side and definitely on the 5G side. Um, and then some of the background uh, programming as well. That's why I put it as warm, but definitely something to watch about. Then the question always comes up as it did in Second Life. Are there ways, is there a need for law in the metaverse? And is there a need for lawyers in the metaverse? And can people, um, as there were lawyers who figured out how to profit from uh, Second Life, is is there a way to have a metaverse law practice? Uh, so, Something to think about if you're looking for something totally new to wrap your head around. But now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So those of you who are using Microsoft 365, you may or may not have noticed this, but um, Microsoft is actually spending a lot more time making its outlook on the web much more interesting than the Outlook regular download application, the desktop app that you have. They're actually doing more things within it that make it more interesting to me. And one of the things that they're doing now is um, creating essentially kind of a board view for your calendar. So if you go to Outlook.com, if you go to your Outlook on the web and you click on calendar, then you can see it in different views, weekly, daily, but there's now a new option to view it in a board view. And you can actually create multiple board views. So let's say that you have a board for one client, a board for another client. You can create multiple boards and it's a little bit like a Kanban board that we've talked about before, but it's different types of modules. So you can have your calendar on this board. You can have a task list. You can have the weather. You can have goals that you plan to meet. You can put a bunch of links up there to get to things. Um, and you can move all of these modules around. It's a movable thing. And so I think of things like Trello, where you can move cards in between columns. This is actually a lot more movable than that. And this is a little bit where Microsoft is heading with their whole fluid work environment that they're moving towards. Um, you, it may or may not be for you, but I am very interested in what Outlook is do what Microsoft is doing here with the Outlook board because it's trying new ways to help you be productive. And it might very well be that having kind of a collection of tasks and calendar and, and phone numbers and links up there is a new way for to help you be more productive during your workday. So if you're, if you're a Microsoft 365 uh, customer, go check it out. 
Yeah, Tom, I agree with you that anybody who's already using Microsoft 365 needs to keep an eye on everything that they're releasing and adding to that because there's definitely some cool things happening there. So I'm going to do something that's in the same way that music streaming kind of snuck up on me and and others. Um, I've become really interested in, in uh, I would guess I would call it streaming news, but uh so what I'm pointing out is Apple News Plus, which is what I use. And so what I found is that this has become really a go-to item for me. You know, so you never know, like, what the heck you're getting in news on social media. Uh, and then sometimes you're, you, what you get from one news source can be, you know, a little distorted, a little, uh, uh, you know, one perspective. But what I like about Apple News is, is not, that it just, not that it gives you all this really nice summary of, of all kinds of news uh, that you can personalize to yourself, but... All of a sudden, in the same way that the music streaming kind of snuck up on me, is that all these magazines and newspapers and stuff are available to you within the service. And so I can read magazine articles or read magazines that I technically, uh, you know, that I don't subscribe to in, in print. And so I have this great resource. And so the, you know, I had gone so far away from like reading the Sunday morning newspaper. Uh, but now I just, I like to spend a little time with Apple News and kind of catch up on reading in the same way I would read magazines. And I can just read the articles that, interests me and I don't have a stack of paper magazines that I haven't read building up in, in the corner. So there are other sources, obviously, but Apple News Plus uh, is a service that is totally worth the money for me. And for those of you who are wondering, Apple News Plus is the successor to the app Texture. We use, I used Texture for years and just loved, 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 loved it for magazines. Apple News Plus bought it, and I have to say, they just haven't done justice to mag. They, they've gone in a different direction. It's very cool to look at the magazines. It's not the same as it was in Texture. I resent that, but I'm willing to accept it. I'm a I'm a, a big fan of Apple News Plus too. I think it's a great app to use, and I, I agree. It's nine ninety nine a month, but totally worth it. We have subscriptions to like six or seven, ten or fifteen magazines in there, which uh, in 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 uh, other places would cost a whole lot more than nine dollars and ninety nine cents a month. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous episodes along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter um, or leave us a voicemail. Still waiting for that B-segment voicemail. Please leave a, a message at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>